In this episode of the Smart Community Podcast, I have a fascinating conversation with Eleanor Carey, a dual world record holding adventurer and successful entrepreneur. In June of 2018, she spent 62 days crossing the Pacific Ocean by human power in a 25-foot ocean rowing boat and prior to this cycled solo across Europe. In this episode, she tells us about those two adventures as well as her passion for getting people out in the outdoors and using physical adventures to improve people's lives. We discuss what a micro-adventure is and how it helps improve psychological fitness in the workplace as well as creativity and productivity. Eleanor then tells us about the benefits of disconnecting from technology and connecting with nature, as well as her thoughts on the future of work. We talk about the decision-making process Eleanor advocates for, which is about choosing what is right for you, and how we can shift our mindset to overcome overwhelm and confusion, whether that be on an individual adventure or when collectively tackling smart community problems. We finish our chat discussing the emerging trend of entrepreneurship and the opportunities and challenges of both starting a business and having an entrepreneurial mindset in traditional employment. As always, we hope you enjoy listening to this episode as much as we enjoyed making it. Welcome to the smart community, smart regions, smart towns and smart cities. It's where we live, work and play with smart communities. The future starts today. Big data, smart mobility, emerging trends galore. The smart community podcast is what you're looking for. Hello, Eleanor. How are you today? Hey, I'm amazing. How are you? I am also amazing. I'm excited to have you on the podcast. Oh, I couldn't be more excited to be here. Well, let's jump straight in. And can you tell us about your background and what you're passionate about? So I am super lucky. I get to have the job title of adventurer, which is somewhat self-invented. So about four years ago, I cycled across Europe on my own to try to find my new career change. And then about three years ago, I rode across the Pacific Ocean from California to Hawaii. As you do. You know, just as a normal day-to-day activity. (laughs) So what are you passionate about? So I'm super passionate about getting people out into the outdoors and using physical adventures as a way to improve people's lives on a day-to-day basis. Awesome. Now, I've asked you to come on the podcast and we've just talked about you're not necessarily in this smart community space, but I love to get all different perspectives, right? And I think getting into the outdoors and, you know, making our lives adventurous is so important. So that's why I wanted to get you on the podcast. So can you tell us a little bit about what you do? So I run a company called Voxer. So we run corporate micro adventures to improve psychological fitness in the workplace. So basically the way it works is, uh, so companies sign on for a 12 month period of time and then we set up their employees so that they're able to go on a monthly solo overnight micro adventure. So what is a micro adventure if you haven't heard of it before? So it's leaving your work uh, at the normal time, say on a Wednesday afternoon, leaving work at five o'clock, going out, camping outdoors for the night, usually some adventurous way of getting there, like maybe hiking or biking, sleeping outdoors for the night, waking up for a beautiful sunrise in the morning and coming back into your desk for your normal start time on a Thursday morning. So what are some of the things that people have told you about how they feel after they do something like this? Yeah, so look, the effects, they can be really varied, which is one of the things that I I find so exciting. Um, So one of my participants, she reported when she got back to work the next day, her three biggest emotions were feeling calm, 
feeling brave and feeling proud. And I definitely think that those are three things that I would love to be able to wake up feeling in the morning. Um, other participants have improved, uh, have reported significantly improved productivity and particularly creativity is another thing that we're seeing a really big impact in. So it just comes from having that extra space, you know, nature, there's an incredible amount of research on the effect that it has on our brains. And I think having a way and a system to be able to regularly implement it into our day-to-day lives, yeah, it can have a phenomenal effect. Absolutely. Can you tell us a little bit about how you came up with this idea? So, uh, so I've, I've been going on micro adventures myself since about 2014. And I remember being, you know, scared and afraid the first time that I went, but I just wanted a way to, to, you know, cut the boredom and, and bring some sense of excitement into my life. Um, so I'd been doing that for a period of time before I went on my first long distance adventure, which was the cycle trip. And I went on that to try to get space for, you know, to get clarity on some big decisions that I had to make. And I was away for two months and I definitely achieved that, you know, with that amount of space and time. And then a couple of years later, I was really overwhelmed in my business and I went away on the two month rowing journey. And it was the similar thing had happened both times that, you know, that reconnection with nature and the outdoors, and I had all this space and time to be able to think clearly and think properly. And I guess I realized then that to me, adventure is definitely the answer to a lot of life's troubles and those big decisions that you have to make. But equally, then I thought, right, I can't, if I want to help people to have this effect in their own lives, I can't really expect people to go and take a two-month journey every time something comes up in their life. And so then I started implementing the micro-adventures on a regular basis, and I realized that it is actually possible to get a similar effect from an overnight midweek adventure that becomes a completely normal part of your day-to-day life, um, that it is, you know, that a similar effect that you can get from going away for about two months. So that's sort of how it came about. Yeah, no, that's really cool. And I guess you take a bit of a break from technology while you're out there as well, right? Yes. So that is a hundred percent. And I think to me, an essential part of it, because we have so much information, we're bombarded all the time, you know, from our phones, from work, you know, in person, online, and disconnecting from technology and having time to find solitude in the outdoors. It stops all of those inputs from coming in for a period of time to just allow you to sit back and process a little bit more and and reclaim some of that your own space and time so yeah the disconnect is hugely important yeah talk a little bit about this um or I have spoken a little bit about this uh in previous episodes it's like creating an intentional black spot so then we can actually reconnect with ourselves because part of you know this whole smart community thing is that connectivity piece, but that doesn't just mean being on all the time with technology. It also means connecting with yourself, but then other humans as well. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. I think it's yeah such an important part to build in regularly. Um, and yeah, I love that that's something that you're already tackling. Let's talk about smart communities for a second. And I, I know you're not necessarily in this space, but I want to know what your thoughts are when, you know, you've heard the term, um, you know, you're working closely with you know other people that might be in technology and that type of thing what do you think when you think smart communities so smart communities to me it's definitely has a more sort of people centric focus i guess on the flip side when i've come into contact with with the smart cities concept um the things that come to mind it's sort of like smart parking meters and you know things i guess that are more technologically focused rather than people focused 
so I really love, yeah, like you said, it's not, yeah, not really my domain of expertise, but I love the focus that the smart communities has on people, maybe a little bit as opposed to the smart cities focus. Mm. Looking at the future of work, because I feel like what you're tackling in your business is actually this need and maybe even craving that or sense that we have to do work differently in the future for both ourselves as individuals, but thinking from a business perspective, things can't be the way that they are because things are already changing so rapidly. So how important is it for the work that you do, thinking about that future aspect of the workplace and you know the people that are going to come through to actually have some of those micro breaks um, that you're talking about? Yeah, I think it's hugely important to consider this in the future of work. You know, we're already seeing it with, you know, millennials that are coming through the workforce that they're craving a lot more from their workplace. They're craving a deeper sense of purpose. They're craving a deeper sense of connection. So if that's, you know, the current generation that's coming through the workforce, I would only anticipate that those things and those cravings and desires may only increase then with the future generations that are entering the workplace as well. And I think people are craving to to be able to live more authentically within the workplace, you know, and be able to merge their, maybe their home persona with their work persona and people don't want to have to have both. So how can we fuse those two worlds to, to maybe live together a little bit more uh, harmoniously than perhaps what we've had it previously where there's been a really stark contrast and difference between home life and work life? And so that's definitely something that I'd love to be able to contribute to. And I would love to see the micro adventures concept rolled out in every workplace if I could in the next, you know, 10 years, which may be an ambitious goal, but I think it would have a, have a huge impact on all of our futures. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That fusion is really, I guess, a key theme that I've been noticing coming up more and more in the future of work and, you know, in our future cities and communities and that type of space and, and area. Uh, I've been reading a lot about kind of, what people are expecting of their workplaces and that, you know, it's no longer this balance. It's actually, we are fusing together, but to really make sure that we're not getting taken over by, you know, say you're always working all the time. I think there's a difference between kind of identifying, okay, well, this is a work task, but actually I'm doing what I, what aligns to my values. So it kind of, it works quite well. And I I don't feel so stressed out about it all the time. That type of thing, but then actually those activities that we're doing as well that might be with our work colleagues that we may not have done in the past. I think it's going to be really interesting the shift and change that's happening, and also with social media, it's been, you know, you kind of don't turn off if you allow yourself to. You know, I part of my work is to be on LinkedIn, right? To be on social media but it's also building personal connections with people as well. So it's a really quite interesting space and it's getting more and more complex and it'll be really interesting to see where it goes in the future. Yeah, like I think one of the the things about that fusion is I think in our workforces, we're, you know, coming to a place where we're able to admit that some of the things that benefit our employees, you know, you think about things like exercise and or the disconnecting from technology healthy eating just all the things that we need as human beings to be able to function well and I think historically you know we've looked at those things as something that you should be doing outside of the workplace or something that's not directly related to the workplace and I definitely think that it needs to become more integrated and for you know if you're running a company you know you know that if you can empower your employees to function the best 
and function the best in their home life and in their work life, the things that enable them to function the best in both of those realms, they're often, I think, the same activities and the same things. So it should only benefit the employers to, to enable their employees to undertake these kinds of activities and see the benefit across all realms of their lives. Now, one of the other reasons I wanted to get you on the podcast is, and we've had a few chats, is can you explain a little bit about your thought process in doing some of these adventures? Because for some people, it just seems too crazy. Like I, you wouldn't even think about it, you know, it'd be cut off straight away. But I know you kind of, well, I'll let you explain how you kind of, you know, build yourself up to doing these things step by step and then kind of the benefits you get from doing something like this. Yeah, absolutely. So I think to me, yeah, the decision-making aspect, it's, it's hugely important. So this is something that I speak on as well as this decision-making process because I realized once I'd come back from these adventures, so particularly the row, which was extremely risky, it had, I only had six weeks notice and so many people, they were saying to me, oh, but I wouldn't be able to do that. And I just couldn't disagree with them more. I truly believe that anybody could go and do it. It's just enabling yourself through that decision-making process to, to make the right decisions that are right for you. So the very first aspect to me of if you want to perhaps live a more extraordinary life or if you want to do more extraordinary things, whether that's physical adventure or whether it's starting a business or no matter what it is for you, is having the inputs in your life to give you the ideas and the creativity to even be able to fathom these things. Um, So for me, it comes in the form of books and documentaries. They're where all of my crazy adventures have come from. They've all come from a place where somebody else has gone out and done something similar first and it's made me iterate on it and go, okay, if that person can do it, I can do it. But I regularly schedule in, you know, watching new documentaries, reading books and just basically absorbing any kind of materials, reading articles online, whatever it is, exposing myself to thoughts, concepts, ideas that are outside my current realm of, you know, knowledge and understanding. So I think that's the first thing. If you want to do extraordinary things, build into your calendar regularly exposure to new materials in whatever form that may be. And then the second thing is committing to an action while you have that thought bubble. So we've all felt it before when you get that really strong sense of it's, it's a strong sense of motivation and it's a compelling driving force that you want to do something. And you have to take advantage of that, but those emotions while they're with you. Because we all know it doesn't stay with you forever. So, you know, whether it's if it's booking into a course or it might be booking a flight to go on an adventure or it might be just taking whatever the very first tangible step is. And then following when you've done that, you need to just mitigate and manage all the second tier problems. So that is worrying about things that are way too far down the track, complications and problems and understanding is it a first tier problem, which is something that you have to deal with right now, or is it a second tier problem and beyond, which means it's not actually something that you need to be worrying about right now. So for me, putting labels, systems and processes to all these things helps me implement it in my life. And to me, it does help me live a more extraordinary and exciting life than what I was able to before I realized these systems and processes. Mm, mm. Now, it's so interesting. And I think one of the other things I've been thinking about a lot is in this smart community space that when we are so overwhelmed and, you know, confused about the technology, we can't move forward. Um, And I think you've heard me talk about this as well. And I draw parallels to, you know, when you've decided to do some adventure or you're looking at an adventure, you can be so overwhelmed because there's so many inputs, right? There's so many things that could happen. There's so many things you need to think about, but actually you need to step back and, just kind of take it step by step. Yes, we still want a long-term vision. So we've still got that vision happening, 
But then it's about looking at, yeah, exactly like you said, the current problem, then looking at all the data. And, you know, you said you brought in that data through articles or um, documentaries and, you know, books and those type of things. But obviously, probably talk to people as well, that type of thing, bring in that data. What, what do we already have? What do we need to collect? And then, you know, you take that action. And so I kind of liken it to the process you really need to do with this whole smart communities thing because we need a mindset shift first because if we don't have that, then you're always just going to be stuck in the ordinary or the, you know, the status quo, which is happening right now. And we know we need to step out of that. So, yeah, thanks so much for sharing that. No, it's fantastic. And yeah, it is, I think it's absolutely applicable to all aspects of life, this sort of process. And, you know, I think we all get tricked by the by this thought that, you know, at some point we're going to feel completely ready to move to whatever the name of, yeah, whatever, whether it's smart communities, whether it's adventure, whatever it is, that we're going to feel completely ready. And I think that that's a myth. I think, you know, all you can do is, yeah, make the decisions that are the best you're able to make with the information that you have, and then decide to take some course of action and, you know, know that no matter what it is, you're probably never going to feel 100% totally certain. And so knowing that it's, that it's okay to feel that way as well. Mm. And when you're on these adventures, what is it that, you know, keeps you just, I guess, going forward? For me, like when I do stuff like this, it's, you just accept and I haven't done anything as long as yours, but say the, the Kokoda track, people be like, oh, well, how did you, how did you do it? And I'm like, well, you just accept that you're going to be dirty, smelly and wet for seven days and you put one foot in front of the other, literally just like that. And you like, there's not really another option. You just keep stepping forward. What kind of things happen in your head? Yeah. Yeah. So to me, I actually think that the easier, like, and I don't know whether you'd agree with this or not, but yeah, whether it is, you know, Kokoda track or rowing or cycling, once you're on the adventure, you really have, you know, there's not really very many options apart from moving forward unless something, you know, fairly drastic happens. I actually think the more difficult part is the lead up and executing to a point where you get yourself that you're, you are on the Kokoda track, that you are in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. And then once you're on the adventure and once it's begun, I think you really have to just keep coming back to the present moment. And I would trick myself all the time and I'd say, you know, just do five more oar strokes or just row until the end of this song or just, you know, and there'd be all of these tiny, tiny milestones that I would set. But the thing is, if you meet those tiny milestones, you know, five oar strokes at a time, if you do that a million times over, you know, lo and behold, row yourself right across the Pacific Ocean and you'll get to the end of the Kokoda track. So I think sometimes we overestimate maybe that mental capacity that it does take and we need to have more reliance that once we get ourselves into the situation that we'll be able to find that reserve from somewhere. Mm. That is so true. I, I, I definitely agree with you. Like the uh, option and, you know, similarly, I trekked the Himalayas at one point when I was younger and you just are looking at the top of the, you know, the, that hill and just go, okay, I'm just going to get to there and then, then I'm cool. But like the only other option is that you pay for a helicopter to come pick you up, right? <laughs> Yeah. And so, yeah, those options, it, it becomes pretty clear for you in that moment. Yeah. Unless there's something, you know, really medically that's wrong or something like that, you know, you will, you'll keep going. And, and I think the trick then is it's just picking, you know, if you feel like to the top of the hill, if it's too far, pick something closer. If that still feels too far, pick something closer. And you just have to, where's your, how much resolve do you have at that time to just pick the smallest goal? I think you have to pick the smallest goal that feels completely achievable 
and then you feel confident to go and execute on that and then just keep resetting it even if you reset it every you know 30 seconds then that's okay Mm. yeah that's so true and I'm just thinking relating it back to this whole smart city thing and smart communities thing is if we've got that vision and so many times the first and it sounds cliche and ridiculous but the first step is to actually just decide that we want to do it yes absolutely and that's not easy that's actually one of the most difficult ones because it does require that you know you have to ignite something different in your brain right you have to something has to happen whether it's you know something happens you know someone makes a decision or whatever but something has to happen in your brain to actually say okay no we want to do it like this but then when you're actually on that journey you don't have to be so grandiose. You don't have to be, you don't have to do everything all at once. So, which is that overwhelm that we feel, but if we've got that vision and then we can just keep iterating, you know, you can actually get to the top of the mountain, um, which for a smart community doesn't look like anything. And like specifically, like people ask me a lot, you know, well, what does a smart city actually look like? And it does look like very different things to very different communities, which is why we use community because we want to amplify those traits that the community has, the strengths that they have, um, and then also look at solving some of those pain points. That's the whole point of this thing. It's not so then we can, you know, have some utopian view of, you know, some smart city somewhere. It'll look different for everyone, which I think is similar with it, an adventure, right? It looks different to everybody. And, and there's, yeah, there's no right or wrong way for that vision to look, but is it the right vision for you and yeah, and the people that are in your life? And if it is, then yeah, go for it. And I think if you, you know, then if the vision is right, you'll be able to get all those, the, the key people on board. So yeah, I do think, I think there are a hell of a lot of similarities actually between the two. Mm-hmm. So let's go back to the adventures, your micro adventures. What types of things do people do and are they always solo or do you do things in teams or, you know, the different themes or um, tell us a little bit more about it. Yeah, so there are, so there's a couple of different streams based on people's, yeah, people's prior experience and what they're comfortable doing, because of course it is going to be wildly different. So what is, what a great overnight micro adventure for somebody who, you know, there's people who they've not done a lot of outdoors stuff, they've not really been camping. So then for that person, it may be driving to a beautiful location, they're camping next to their car without a heavy sort of physical element. But, you know, just that notion of, you know, sleeping alone outdoors, it can feel very, it, it takes courage and it takes bravery to be able to go out there and do that. So that sort of one level is sort of the more the car based sort of style, but still very beautiful location and still getting that nature aspect disconnection from technology. And you still come out feeling courageous on the other side. The more, a more sort of progressed level of the micro adventure is, so you get instructions which will take, take you to a certain location where you do park the car there. And then, for example, there may be a, a couple of kilometre hike for you to actually get to the campsite or biking equally for, you know, four or five kilometres to be able to get to your campsite. And so just that adding that, you know, I'm a huge advocate for human-powered journeys, you know, using our own muscles and our own steam to be able to get us to a location. And there's huge um, satisfaction because there's huge challenge in that as well. So that's sort of the other stream is they are more, you know, adventures, micro-adventures that have a physical element to be able to get to camp. Uh, the model at the moment, it's more focusing on sending people solo and because I do think that there's the fantastic benefit of solitude in nature. 
but equally we do run for team micro adventures as well. So I did just take a team out last week um, as part of, so we went out on a Monday night as part of a five day sort of team building week. And the effect of bonding on the team was phenomenal. And so, yeah, there are sort of, there's the solo version and then there are the sort of one-off team micro adventures as well. But really we can also design bespoke adventures for companies too. If they have a totally different quirky idea of something that they'd like to do, then we're more than happy to design things ad hoc. It's one of my favorite things to do. Yeah. I can imagine you would love to do that. Do your research, which must involve a lot of getting outdoors, right? Yeah, the research, oh, it's just, it's, it's awful that I have to go and camp in all these beautiful locations and go exploring. It's just, yeah, very sarcastic, by the way, for anybody who doesn't know me. It's, it's fantastic. Uh, love it. What uh, level of, you know, physical ability do you have to have to actually go on these adventures? So really, we do, we try to make it as inclusive as possible. So I've actually got a background as a physiotherapist and so worked in 10 years in both private and public sectors. And I've worked with people of sort of all varying ability levels from athletes, you know, to people with various disabilities. Um, So again, we're able to organize things to make access a priority. You know, so last week we had a 70 year old woman come with us who walks with a walking stick and we were still able to, uh, you know, construct an adventure that she felt safe and able to participate in. Um, And equally, that was her first time going camping as well. And she is just, she's so happy now that she's been able to tick that off her bucket list, I guess, as such. So yeah, really, there's, there's a couple of different streams based on ability levels. But then yeah, if there is somebody that has a has a different need, uh, we can absolutely look at creating something for them. That's so awesome. That would be such a fun experience. I think if somebody's never gone camping before, and then having their own little micro adventure at age 70, that's awesome. Yeah, and I think, you know, definitely when I look back on my life, you know, one of my metrics for success for last year was calculating how many nights have I spent outdoors. And I was actually really disappointed to find that I'd only spent, say, 12 nights of last year outdoors. So my goal this year is to spend 30 outdoors. And I do think I need to sort of test this hypothesis further, but I feel like spending some nights outdoors in nature is on everybody's bucket list, whether they realize it or not. And if they've never actually spent a night outdoors, if you ask them that question, I do truly believe that everybody would have the answer of yes, I would love to have spent at least one night of my life outdoors. And then hopefully that would then also spawn further nights. But yeah, I'd just love to be able to spread it further. Mm, yeah. We um, bought a camper trailer recently and we love going camping. I really need it because I'm so in immersed, I suppose, in technology and talking about technology and talking to other you know talking to other technology people and even though I focus on that community aspect you know we're still always immersed in it and thinking about it and you know I'm on on technology you know computers those type of things and just my whole head is just full of technology all the time what I love the most is just getting in the camper trailer and going somewhere creating an intentional black spot and being outdoors I love that wording of the intentional black spot. That is, that's amazing. I haven't heard it quite put exactly like that before. That's a fantastic way to frame it. You can use it as much as you like. Oh, thank you. I might just do that. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Because I think when we are intentional, one of the other things I talk about a lot in smart communities is the, the choice. And, you know, it's not that we have to be all in on technology or all out. We actually can choose how we use it um, and not the other way around which is something I'm really passionate about is we don't have to use all of the features. 
we can choose to use them when we when we need to use them when we you know feel like we want to use them that type of thing rather than you know you have to be on all of the time and so i think that's really important from a citizen perspective that we want to be able to use technology to know things about our city and not necessarily the other way around and something with you know those the micro adventures it's like you can choose to do you know what you want to do it's like reclaiming the power and control right and yeah like reaffirming that notion that yes we are in control so yeah i think it's yeah that that reaffirmation is is hugely powerful mm. so the components of a smart community is that empowered and informed and i think that really speaks to what you're doing as well which i absolutely love Mm, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and we should all be empowered and informed. Absolutely. Oh, totally. Okay. Well, let's let's talk about the future a little bit before we wrap up. I'm keen to hear your thoughts about emerging trends. So this doesn't have to be technology. This can be in any space that you're working. You know that you've come across. But what do you think the emerging trends are that people aren't talking about enough? Oh, interesting. Um, so I think you know. So I work in the university sector as well. And something that we're trying to ensure becomes an emerging trend, so I don't know if this is skewing the question a little bit, is just the notion of entrepreneurship. So I think, you know, the, the old model used to be, yeah, that you, you know, you go to university and you come out with a very set career. That's something that I'm hugely passionate about is making sure that everybody knows that, that they have the option that if they want to start their own company and if they want to go out and start solving problems for themselves, that that is an option for them. And, you know, you can do that while you're still at school. You can do it while you're at university. You can do it, you know, when you've graduated. And equally, there's no time when it's, it's, it's no time is too soon and no time is too late. So, um, yeah, whether it is categorically becoming an emerging trend, you know, I don't sort of have the research to speak to as such, but it's something that, it, yeah, I'm actively working towards to make sure that it becomes a trend is that people are just sort of starting more of their own companies. Mm. I think it is just, again, I, I might, might be availability bias uh, talking, but yeah, I, I mean, even in myself, like, you know, I did a very traditional degree, you know, I had very traditional school life, very scientific, you know, maths, science, maths, you know, English came out, got an OP, went to uni, finished, got a job because I didn't really realize that there was anything else. Well, that's what I kind of think about. But, you know, it was just like, okay, this is what you do. And no one forced me to do it. You know, I chose every step of the way. But I also grew up in a regional area. So I didn't, yes, people like, you know, owned businesses and things, but I didn't really ever think about this entrepreneurship as being something that was for me for some reason. I don't know why. Yes, I was the same. Yep. Yeah. And because did you, were you in regional Australia as well. I grew up in Stanthorpe, so a little town of about 10,000 people just southwest of Brisbane. Um, and yeah, it was similar. Like my parents were both teachers. I didn't grow up in a particularly, you know, I didn't grow up in a business sort of orientated family. I, you know, yeah, similar. I graduated from school, went to university, did physiotherapy and truly believed that that was sort of the only job was to go out and be a physiotherapist until I did, had done that for a couple of years and I was trying to make all of these changes in the system and I just got immensely frustrated. And it probably wasn't for another, you know, three or four years after I graduated that I, that I finally started to make the connection that by starting your own business, it means that you have all the power and you have all the control and whatever change it is that you want to see, whatever product service that you want to create, that it then becomes within your power and your grasp to be able to engineer that change. I think I just always used to believe that business was all accounting and finances, which have never interested me in the slightest. 
And so, yeah, I sort of want to make sure that other people, you know, just know that, that those options are available to them and that they will, they're not born with the skills to know how to start a business, but that every single one of us that started a business, you only build those skills along the way. So yeah, it's been a, it's been quite the ride. Sounds similar to you. Yeah. Yeah. Like I was, I did engineering to become an engineer and um, I grew up in Roma, but my family lives at Stanthorpe now. So oh, well, there you go. Our families may know each other. <laughs> I know. Great place down there. But yeah. And I mean, sometimes I think also for regional areas, there are businesses purely by necessity. And I think that's really interesting that what we could learn from small businesses because it wasn't called entrepreneurship right it was you created a business because you know those were the skills you had or you know you you didn't want to go to university or you know it was your parents business or whatever um or you had some you know really great idea i think we really need to hone in on those skills as well that that regional people really bring and it's something i was talking to leanne kemp about recently and how she's doing her regional tour. And it's just, I think as much as, you know, this is about smart cities and communities, that parallel to entrepreneurship and startups, we could learn so much from each other. Uh, And I think, and then, you know, moving into the future of work, they have to be integrated and talking to each other. And I think so, so many lessons can be learned and brought across both sides. Absolutely. And, you know, with the entrepreneurship piece, the more that we can empower the people I think that are experiencing their particular set of problems, because, you know, each of us based on our our family, our background, our geographical location, and, you know, a myriad of other factors are going to experience a different set of problems. And then, you know, if you can be the one to actually engineer the circumstances to overcome those problems and we can empower people on a ground level to be able to do that, I think, you know, the solutions, including technologically based solutions, I think will be absolutely phenomenal. So the more we can do that, the more we can solve a bigger variety of problems. Mm. And it's not that everyone has to start their own business too. I think sometimes we get lost in, you know, if we're teaching people entrepreneurship that they have to start a business and if they don't, they're a failure because we need, uh, what's the word, entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurs as well, yeah. Yeah, and we need people because, you know, some people like starting a business and running a business is not super easy, right? It's not, it's not for everybody. Yeah. (laughs) It's not for everybody. And exactly what you said, it it felt like the words were coming out of my mouth, um, which is, you know, I realized that I wanted to have more control and, you know, it wasn't that where I was working was, you know, bad or evil. They're actually, you know, really awesome. And I had some amazing opportunities, but I really wanted to do things in a different way. And so that's why I started my own business and I'm now able to do that. But, you know, so much risk and all those things come along with all those fun things. But for me, it works, it works well, but it's not for everyone. And I think we can give it a go and, 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 but we can kind of build those skills so then you can help someone else either build their business or um, you can build it together or you can just understand things a bit more, I guess, on a deeper level, uh, which is really, really key, I think, to move forward in this space because, there's going to be so many different opportunities created through people that start their own businesses, but also there's lots of risk and particularly with technology, we need to be quite informed in our decision-making or or very informed in our decision-making because I think we can lose control much more quickly now. Things can happen so much more rapidly 
And I think it's something we just need to be hyper aware of. Um, And I think if you've got those skills of entrepreneurship, you're always looking for the opportunities, but you can also see those challenges or those trends or risks that are cropping up really quickly. Yeah, definitely. And even on the the aspect of risk, and it certainly can be extremely risky, I think depends the circle. The way that I love to think about entrepreneurship is you're basically creating a circumstance under which you always have a job, under which you always have income coming in. So there are certainly those elements of risk, but it's also to me, it's also one of the safest paths that I can choose. But then, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's definitely not for everybody. And there shouldn't be pressure on people that, yeah, that you have to be the founder of the business. And we need those entrepreneurs that are already part of bigger companies and government organizations and things that are engineering change from within. And because I do think that we have some, a bit of a ways to go in terms of, you know, company cultures to be able to further enable entrepreneurship. And there are some companies that do it really well. And there are some companies that obviously don't do it so well. But yeah, the more that we can inspire, I think it's more the mindset of entrepreneurship probably rather than being exactly the definition of an entrepreneur. And that's being open to change and, you know, and engineering circumstances for success and choosing to take control and not the people to build the solutions to your problems. And I think that mindset can be applied to, yeah, basically every circumstance. Mm, No, that's so true. And I did say risk a lot, but it's a different way of thinking and the mindset is so important. And I think it's so important with smart communities as well, that mindset shift and flip that we need to take because otherwise, yeah, no amount of smart technology, no amount of businesses that we start will help us if we don't first have that mindset shift to be open to change, um, looking for those opportunities. And I think wanting to contribute is one of the other key factors that I've found quite and again, maybe availability bias, but quite universal across a lot of the entrepreneurs that I've met that really want to contribute to society, which is a great thing to be doing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's been so great to chat with you, Eleanor. Thank you again for coming onto the podcast. Thanks so much for having me here. It was amazing to chat to you. I just have one last question, which is how can people connect with you? So you can find me on Instagram at Eleanor J. Carey, uh, LinkedIn, Eleanor Carey and eleanorcarey.com. Excellent. Easy. We'll put the links in the show notes so people can click away and find you. Thanks again for coming onto the podcast. Thank you. We'll talk soon. All right. Sounds amazing. (laughs) See you. Bye. Bye. The Smart Community Podcast is brought to you by My Smart Community. If you're trying to deal with disruption, not sure what technologies to buy, need to facilitate genuine collaboration, then we can help. Email hello at mysmart.community or head to www.mysmart.community forward slash consulting. Thanks so much for listening to the Smart Community Podcast. Show notes for this episode and all other episodes are available on our website, mysmart.community dot community slash podcast if you have any questions for us or any of our guests you can email hello at mysmart.community you can also find us on the socials we are on linkedin and twitter at smartcomhq that's com with two m's if you are enjoying the podcast please hit subscribe so you never miss an episode And we would love for you to leave us a rating and review at wherever you listen. This really helps us reach more ears and eyes. So thank you for your support. 
As always, we hope you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as we enjoyed making it. The Smart Community Podcast is what you're looking for.